Greetings, readers. This is the Recap Book Chat. We are thrilled that you're with us because reading illuminates your life like a star. As J.R.R. Tolkien said, little by little, one travels far. Greetings, readers! <laughs> We're together in person getting to do the podcast. So excited. Welcome to the Recap Book Chat. And it was, uh, we are bringing you one step ahead, uh, Mastering the Art and Science of Negotiation by David Sally. A tough read. It's, it's a mountain. And this was recommended by my brother. Maybe as a punishment. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he listened to it. So I think it might be good to listen. But it, it's a tough read because the guy is wordy. But there's a lot of nuggets inside. And we're going to share those nuggets with you today. Yes. And so I, um, like like Mom said, it was, it was a tough read. It's probably one of the toughest I've had. Actually, if, come to think of it, it might win the award for that. <laughs> yeah, that you're gonna. Oh yeah, you give awards at the end. And I do you? give awards yeah. at the end, but it did have a lot of good stuff. So, so what's some of your takeaways that you liked? Well, um, the the takeaway is in his um, he's trying to organize your negotiators, and a zero is someone that's unpredictable. They really are uh, don't have a plan and. Um, they're, they are the low level, and then the ones, and the twos, and the threes, and I was still pretty foggy about it the first couple chapters, and then he got to a chapter where he's talking about uh, the movie Princess Bride, and he ties it all in to acting, and um, he's saying how the life is a stage, the quote from Shakespeare, and, and he said, but how often do we not think about the stage? There's a there's a backstage, there's costumes, there's trap doors, there's... Uh, all of the other things that depict uh, acting. And so he said the zeros are the ones that don't know their lines. Mm -hmm. And um, they babble and um, they uh, can't be flexible because they don't know their lines. The ones are literal and mechanical. So um, they can do their part, but they can't help you at all. And the twos are uh, figurative and indirect and they can, uh, they're present. But the threes, they seek to discover ideas, motivations, and they will help. Uh, they can help everybody. On and they the can set. improvise. Yeah. And so when it, when something happens, uh, that's the cool thing about seeing a live performance. Somebody's got to. Uh, when someone forgets a line, they're the the threes will mm-hmm. carry you through. So then, when he put it in that analogy, I kind of understood. And I love the line where he says, uh, "If you know your lines, you won't bump into the furniture." So in life, you know, if we know our, you know, prepare. And what did you get out of it? Because I really got that that one guy prepared for six months for a negotiation, and he didn't even use any of it. But his preparing helped him. It did to go to be flexible. So like, what did, I, well, I think that's a good point. He he brought up the different characteristics of negotiators, and that was one of the top ones. If you can be anything, be prepared. Uh, being tough is good too. Interior, interior, interiorly tough. Um, I had a quote for that. True toughness is all interior. You, you roll up your sleeves to sweat, persist, and work. And that's true toughness. I like that. And I like the, he gives the analogy of that, the, was it the Chinese coin? 
I thought that oh, was interesting. Yes. Where which I never thought, but it's a circle, but inside it's a little square, and they had done that so they could stack them up in a certain way or, or sell them or whatever. But he was saying that that's kind of a good to be on smooth on the outside, you know, like flexible, soft, but on your inside, you know who you are, know your values, and it's that's the square. That's toughness. Very the toughness and. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a that was a good visual. I liked yeah, that. Mm-hmm. That was. So you you can get something. And and one part of it, it talked about uh, dealing negotiating with people wearing masks. And he quoted Princess Bride when because really uh, he said, "How is that different from real life, boss?" Because everyone's wearing a mask. Hundred percent. And that's why this really you can use this. You don't have to be. That your a negotiation doesn't have to be in your oh, this job would title. Help parents, t-shirts, yeah. like a, a parent, because in this one here, uh, you would kind of be wise to your. Because some kids, I do think, are gifted negotiators, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not what we think. It is not what the axiom. It might not be right. Like he gave the uh, hard Warren Harding error. Because things are not always as they seem. They said Harding looked good, and he made a great first impression, and he became a president. But here's the quote from him. Uh, I think he got this from Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. Harding was an empty suit. Ooh, that's kind of chilling, isn't it? Unintelligent, with a laboring jaw that uttered an army of pompous phrases, moving over the landscape in search of an idea, and and unsophisticate with a wondering eye and a lack of self-control. I said, oh, how terrible. But his first impression got him elected. Mm-hmm. And he had no depth and no character. So and that still goes on today. I mean, yeah. that's not, it's not an old thing. No. But I had never heard of that. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I know, I've heard the phrase, you need to make a good first impression. But I didn't realize it, it could get you to be president, <laughs> you know. And he ties that in, like, towards the end, he was talking about CEOs and that, a lot of if if you're tall and look good and you're and those CEOs will get paid more just because of the way they look and present themselves not and not due to their abilities to lead yeah. the company whatsoever which is sad it is sad and he also talked you can flip that though because um one, my favorite detective is Columbo and he mentions Columbo if you are uh humble mm-hmm. enough and willing to lose face, you can uh, come across like as a zero when you're really a three. Mm. And that's what Columbo did. If you haven't ever watched Columbo, you ought to. Because talk about it's a slow build. And you know the outcome. Mm-hmm. you know. But you see him work those people who thought, this is a perfect crime. I will not be caught. And he said, uh, just one more thing. Uh, just one more thing. And then, but he acts like he... He acts like a one. Yeah, he acts like a zero. He, he doesn't ever have a pen. He doesn't have this and because he's humble enough to do that. And he said those people do well in negotiating. And they under they underestimate him and yeah. they write him off like, oh, he's a bumbling idiot. When so, he's really not. But that's, so. that's he's a very sophisticated negotiator mm-hmm. or very sophisticated um, detective. And it, I thought that was interesting too. He said that it's better to. It, you need you don't need to underestimate who you're negotiating yeah. with. It's better, better to overestimate. Yeah, think mm-hmm. they're more sophisticated than they are. Mm-hmm. Assume they're more sophisticated than they are. And another thing that w- the axiom that you would think would be true is uh, it's good to have uh, two options, mm. even if the second option's terrible. Well, in here he proves that it's better to have no options. Just have the, your one option. Because you will negotiate harder. And I thought, well, you know, I, if someone had asked me that, I would have said, oh, yeah, you need two options. Yeah. But, no. 
you need one option and you need to fight for that. And I thought that was interesting. That was a good point. And then there's a story that conquistador or something. I can't remember the exact place, but that he that's what he did kind of. He burned once they, they were okay. trying to take over this You did a painting. Yeah. You did the painting. Burn I mean, your bridges. Burn your burn, or your, burn your boats. Burn your boats. <laughs> yeah, the phrase don't burn your <laughs> Yeah, when you sent me that picture of that and you said, burn your boats, I remember saying, what is she talking about? Because it's not burn your bridges. But yeah, your painting was really good. Don't oh, uh, you. burn your boats because then you don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's true. I mean, that's true in anything. And I think, I think we both, speaking of people, we both learned about, is it Machiavelli? Machiavelli. Tell them about Machiavelli because I did not know anything about My history teacher failed. <laughs> Drop the ball. Well, it's weird because Machiavelli, I think, is one name that people are like, yeah, I've heard that. But I had no clue who he was. Um, but it's back in medieval times, right? Or Italy. Italy. And there, when there's a lot of different um, entities trying to take over, there's a lot of war. And Machiavelli was, uh, he was in the court. And he was, of that was taken over and all this. And so he he kind of had to negotiate many different times throughout his life to get his position back in political power. And then he would lose it. And then... He's having to work with people he didn't agree with, these dictator-type people. and oh, he, 1502. I 1502. Okay, yeah. good job. And um, so, and he even wrote, um, he's famous for writing The Prince, I think mm-hmm. is the book that he wrote. Um, but he actually, they say that that was kind of written in sarcastically. So, But a lot of people think Machiavelli is this do-whatever-it-takes kill whoever you got to to get to the top type of person. And there's a lot of researchers who disagree with that and say that he's he was speaking against that, but in an offhanded way because that's what the, the current people in leadership were doing. And so, um, but he, anyway, it's kind of sad because so Machiavellianism or whatever is really doesn't even represent the guy who it's about kind well, of. And that, yeah, I, you told me that, and I was like, okay, because from what I was getting, he wasn't a very good guy, and I was like, oh, well, but you said that was uh, sarcastic. Yeah, I think I think what he was writing was was meant to be taken with a grain of salt, and almost like this is not what you should be doing, but he can't come out and say that, or he would be killed. So okay. he's so almost like it comes across code. as praising, yeah. But I thought that was really interesting. I didn't know very much about Machiavelli, but apparently he had to. He was really good at negotiating and getting what he wanted. So. Yeah, because like you said, he had to be perceptive and mm. multifaceted. You know, because he had to go through different. Um, as a diplomat, you really got to be prepared to change your game plan. I had a connection to our other book. The did. One of the quotes uh, said, stop taking the drama so personally. I put that too. <laughs> yeah, because that goes with unoffendable. I was like, be yeah. unoffendable. Because so. I will say the unoffendable guy is a lot more succinct and pithy than uh, David Sally. David Sally likes words. He does. too much. But like, and sometimes he'd have a really good quote, but I couldn't understand how it fit. But I love this quote, two bald men fighting over a comb. But I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, and then he had Kramer and uh, Newman in there, and they were talking about uh, playing Risk. Made me think of you and your brothers playing Risk on uh, New Year's Eve. Remember yeah. that time? But and then they had um, Seinfeld and the rye bread. Remember that? Yeah. I want the bread. Give me the yeah, yeah. yeah. old bag. <laughs> yeah, which made him a one. He was a one when he was doing that, I guess. But he lost too. But anyway, what did you think about the verbs? 
Oh, um, I have that written I was down. wanting to ask you about that. Edgar like, Allan Poe writes the practitioner of the con game, rightly considered is a compound of ingredients are minuteness, interest, perseverance, ingenuity, acidity, nonchalance, originality, uh, impertine, imp- impertinence. Is that it? I spelled it wrong. And grin. Is that what you're talking about? Um, no. But what, oh, what, those are all what Edgar Allan Poe had written, and he said that was for a con game, but David Sally said this all this works for a negotiator. And it oh. does. Minuteness, like details and interest, perseverance. And he really goes with perseverance. Mm-hmm. You have to persevere. But then nonchalance, you have to act like you're you're not you know, either way will be poker okay. face. Yeah. Yeah. And originality and I mean, yeah, and then grin. So I, I just thought that that's a pretty good list. The verbs I was talking about was when he was talking to, um, that, let's see, the, oh, not verbs, nouns or adjectives, rather than I want the blank or I am blank, the inside would say I want to. For example, rather than I want a spouse, um, I want to win um, so-and-so's heart. Rather than I want more money, I want to gain respect. And that was the script. I want to protect your words rather than I want your script. Yeah, so, I like that part. What, rather than I am frustrated, I want to discover a way out. Mm-hmm. Very positive talk, right? Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. Like, you're reframing um, you're reframing the what you're wanting in a way where it's positive. Positive, yeah. And where it speaks to the other person. And speaking of, another thing I learned, we learned there's a big difference in men and women. I know society doesn't want to think that at this time, but uh, as far as negotiators, they're not the same. Yeah, I thought, so men typically are better um, negotiators when it comes to getting more of, or getting what they're wanting, like exactly what they're wanting, but women are more ethical negotiators and do better for the people they're negotiating for. As yes, they're so, moral, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it also said that a woman will, that to, to level the playing field of a man or a woman, because a man is a better negotiator, if the woman's negotiating for someone, even if it's herself, she has to be, you know, she has to set herself up as a client. She has to be negotiating for someone, and then they're equal. Because then she's like the mama bear instinct comes mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I thought that was really... That was cool. Really interesting. So, I, I mean, so it's not a downside to be a woman. You just have to... Play your... You play have to it. know... Yeah, play the negotiating game. Mm-hmm. And it is a... It's, it's kind of... Like, and I, I think that uh, the main thing is to have tenacity. You just don't give up, you know. And I think the mama bear... If, if a woman's just negotiating for herself, she's just going to give up. Yeah. But if she's going for, for someone, she's going to fight. So, remember you said, well, so a woman lawyer would be really good. Yeah. Yeah, they would be. They're like, yeah. and that was some of the, he went, They he did all this research, and some of the, the top things uh, were prepared was, number one, communicative, mm-hmm. trustworthy, and creative. And um, the one, the emotional was at the low end. And what was the, I was, one was surprised, um, fair. You would think fair would be high. That was interesting. That fair was not. So people people care more. It's you're a better negotiator if you're prepared, and communicating and yeah. trustworthy than if you're fair. Which you think about it, 
that makes a lot of sense because some the the people that are really trying to be fair a lot of times get walked over, mm-hmm. and they're trying to be. And fair. even used it with, um, but sometimes your fair your uh, your uh, goal of everyone seeing you as fair gets in the way of being fair. Mm, yes. Which was weird, but he used an um, umpire or a referee or something. Remember that? Yes. Analogy, and I thought, yeah, if you're saying I'm fair, I'm fair, I'm fair, you might not even be fair because well, you. And according to his research. I don't know if we really can be. Because remember no. that? He, he was showing the different game, like this certain Princeton game, I can't remember, and they showed it to different people. Different people saw different things. Mm-hmm. So, like, they literally, like, did not see their team being making mistakes. They saw the other team making mistakes, but it was yeah. really hard for them to see their team making mistakes. So, And there was way, even some, and I think it was Harvard or Yale or something, there was a guy who with his colleague they'd written a book and and people that went into their their program had to buy that book well the guy that was challenging him made a slam against it and said it wasn't useful and all that kind of stuff well and uh he didn't even believe it but he said he knew that everybody would want to be fair and that he would get elected instead and it worked yeah and he went in and told the guy he said there's nothing wrong with what you wrote but i knew you wanting to be fair would vote for me instead of your colleague that you wrote the book with Mm-hmm. And it worked. And I was like, wow, I would never have thought about no, that. No, I wouldn't either. In a million years. So it was interesting. And I think that's important that just reading people, that, that he was able to say, I could, he, he could tell he wanted to be perceived as being fair. And the, he talks about, David Sally talks about that a lot in the book, about a good negotiator is you're, you're in the mind of your counterpart. You have to think, what do they want? Mm-hmm. And, like, what, what are they... Like, you really have to put yourself in their situation to be a good negotiator. You can't just think, I want this. Yeah. You have to think... And and he gave a lot of examples um, where he was doing that. The people, the negotiators were putting themselves in someone else's situation. And that's what makes you a good... Because I think that's... But that's good for everybody. Yeah. You know, if we could really listen to other people and, like, okay, well, where do you want out of this? I know. And I think that's... Uh, he mentions listening. You, you really need to, to listen. And I, I, um, I, I got a couple of words, too. What was one of the, one of the words? Um, and I, one, of my, one of my quote was, when you know what you're doing, it's much easier to improvise. Which I, I like that. And you know what? That's what you do as a teacher. Because we were talking about that. You are a three in the classroom because you are very prepared. And, but you don't always do what you've prepared. Because you're 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 going you're reading the room you're going with what the kids are, you know, interested in too. But you you're able to do that, and I've experienced that, so it's awesome. Like you're an amazing teacher, and I love that. No prejudice here. <laughs> I mean, I've had you two years, so no bias, and you were hard on me. I mean, that's yeah. So thank you not... for forgiving me. Your brother never has. I got in trouble for putting on chapstick. I said for the fortieth time. I mean, how much? Yeah. This really interesting on uh he said zeros are literal listeners and he said literal listeners make no inferences at all Mm. so you could actually be listening but if you're not connecting the dots how good a listener are you oh isn't that good so that little jewel is probably worth the whole book because i think i can even use that in the classroom i said a lit to really listen takes work Mm-hmm. And you're connecting the dots. But if, if I just take exactly what you say and I don't use any nonverbal, you know, some people don't even know when someone's upset. Mm-hmm. Someone go out and talk to you and their tone is off and they slam the door. 
I promise you, half the kids in my class would not know someone's upset. And there'll be some of them will say, woo, what was the problem? But there's some of them that aren't connecting the dots. And that would be a zero. And I'm like, but if you're a predictive listener, that means you are using, you're working. You're working. Because it really, listening takes effort. And I think women are better at that. Yes. Because women know, I mean, they say, uh, I heard that from a comedian or something. You pull up at a at a fast food place, the mom knows everybody, what everybody wants. The dad knows nothing. You know, he doesn't even know if a kid's allergic to something. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, the mom can order for everybody, the dad can order for himself. That's true. Because they, do they listen? Yeah, probably listen, but they don't listen intuitively, I guess. I think when you said that, that made me think of the Beverly Hillbillies. So, I mean, that's a funny scenario because they, they're kind of more oh, that's li- true. literal listeners, yeah. you know, because they, they misinterpret a lot. So they I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. So that's be a funny version of. Would be a good way to teach that. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Because they are listening, but just very literal yeah. and they can't really connect. Um, that, that is because the words in language is half of someone. Uh, I mean, really the words are just half your message basically. Mm. That was a good point, too, he made. I'm glad you said that. Because he said, a lot of times when we're talking with someone, we just look at their face. And I do that. I, oh, yeah. I'm, the eyes. I really look at the eyes. And he said, really, it's better if you look at the you whole stand body. Back. You stand yeah. back. And then, because they said, they did a study where they cut off um, uh, pictures. <laughs> they yeah. cut off people's heads in pictures um, of these different emotions. And they just had, and people could tell from the body language more than just the faces that's so, true and and way better if you put them all together so i thought that was interesting I, I i mean he has little nuggets in here but you just have to um i mean you have to be reading like this one i underline as a one step ahead negotiator you accept the third option the principle of optimal frustration and so you strap the curve stick on your back and hang a carrot from its end so that it bobs above you and glances off your fingertips when you jump i'm thinking that's how you had to read this whole book mm-hmm. you had to have a carrot <laughs> in front of you going I mean, because he's wordy well i will say this i think this was written as more of a textbook this is more written if you are literally a negotiator and stuff. Yeah. And so I think we're reading it more as like casual readers. We're just wanting... What know, can we pull from it? What, yeah. I, I will say this. This book, I think all of it was worth it for this piece of advice that he gave about negotiating for a car. I thought this was so oh, good. Oh, yeah. Tell him that one. That so, was good. you know, he talks about... Uh, the time, like when you go to get a car, you're putting your time in, and there's this salesperson is spending time on you, and so, uh, and there's kind of this unwritten like debt that occurs that you owe this person because they spent a lot of time on you, and you kind of feel guilty, like, well, now I kind of have, I mean, they spent a lot of time on me, I can't back out now, and they use that to their advantage, and so he said the way around that is you know exactly what vehicle, model, color, whatever you want. And then you find two um, car dealerships and you email both of them where they can both see each other's email and you say, this is what I want. What is the best deal you can give me? And you email both of them and then you have people fighting to give you the best price instead of you having to sit there for hours and feel guilty and 
So I was like, definitely brilliant. And then you take, you print off your offer. You go to the one that gave you the lowest offer. And then he said, don't fall. They're going to try to upsell you the, the clear coat or uh, whatever, true coat. Don't, you know, you got to stick with, but you have it printed in your hand. Yeah, stick with the plan. And that made me think later on in the book, he's talking about um, it, having something written or in print is really valuable. Remember that he was talking about negotiators that were writing stuff out and he said do you remember that well no but i remember uh, i I was gonna say right here it said goals are performance enhancing drugs of bargaining and they are not without issue so i mean in one place he said to have something written out even if it's on a little piece of paper stuck in your pocket (laughs) i mean he doesn't even care the um strat you know how you write it down specific trumps vagueness which you know everybody kind of knows that but I think it's easy to be vague about something well I kind of want a car (laughs) and he talked about he used a word called canard which I had never heard of c-a-n-a-r-d canard and unfounded or false deliberately misleading so uh, and I think in the world of negotiation there probably are canards a lot but it's uh, deliberately misleading And I thought, so that's why we don't know that word. Yeah. But I bet everybody in the negotiation business, Mm. you know, I don't even know if they know it, but that's what they're doing, canard. And kinning is a figurative, usually a story. uh, It says a piece of a noun, like storm. I I, I thought that was pretty cool because I should know this, but I don't teach high school. But kinning is um, like storm of sword equals battle. And bone house equals body. And it's old English and old Norse poetry. Hmm. And so who would have thought we'd learn something like that? And this right here, wave traveler equals boat. Anything playing with words, I thought it was cool. That is A kinning. So storm of sword, battle. So if we're reading poetry and it says storm of sword, would we have known battle? And if it's bone house is your body. And I still wave travelers a boat. I said, "Oh man, wave I just love that. that. That's very poetic. Yeah, I, I, like, it. I like. So that. there's something in here. You know, when I, I read that, I was like, "Oh, oh, good." <laughs> there's something, something cool. for everyone. <laughs> this is what I was looking for earlier, and I can't say the Latin phrase, but it spoken words fly away, wit, written words remain. Oh, that is powerful. Yeah. Spoken words fly away, written, written words remain. remain. So. That is so true because now they are finding out. Research is that people that even type uh, on their computers notes in college and stuff they they don't do as well on tests as people who write them. Mm. So actually, really writing them helps you. And uh, your dad is actually writing out the Bible. He's already written out the whole book of Matthew. I think that's so cool. And he says, man, it really slows you down, and mm. you were you're paying attention when you're writing. So you can't, you know, sometimes when you're reading, you just go fast. And you don't take away... I know I did in this book. I was like, whoa. Uh, But I was... Yeah, I think that if you write something down... Say that one more time. You're using different parts of your brain. Yeah. So you're connecting. Um, Well, I wish... I I, I don't know how to say the Latin. Verba voliant. Scripta manent. And it means spoken words fly away, written words remain. Whoa. That is, I think, So that's why they say, get it in writing. So... (laughs) Get it writing is important. So, I, I do think that. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, if you were going to make a trip and you wanted to listen to a book, you might want to do this. But also, you if you want to 
go deep and just have a, a nonfiction read on a back burner and bringing it out uh, a bit by bit, you know. But you said it was a speed bump to you, and I think you know that's good. It is so good to have all different kinds, um, you know. It is good. I think this made me a it made me a better reader because it's it was challenging to read because I think I mean we we came off of one that was just real yeah real and this is different so i mean I, I, so much good information but it is more of a textbooky type of feel but oh the good thing is at the end of every chapter there's summary and it that, has points that is nice i like this quote true toughness resides in quieter qualities understanding knowing exactly what you think and feel at all times self-monitoring goal orientation strategic sophistication a willingness to engage, the courage to direct determination and persistence. So, and that would, I mean, we kind of talked about that, the square and the circle of the, that Chinese coin, but I like that, that, so true toughness is knowing exactly what you think and feel at all times. So, and I think that like, so true toughness really, you, that you have to be really self-aware and have you to have, have to have an identity. Yes. I found my verb list I was looking for. Negotiation is smiling, frowning, hinting, directing, joking, crying, mimicking, angering, delighting, confronting, refusing, shunning, engaging, pleasing, disappointing, sharing, competing, understanding, confusing, learning, arguing, educating, denying. This potentially infinite regress of mirroring and the involvement of all parts of social life are why a su successful negotiator requires psychology and prophecy. Mm. And I just thought, man, I, I, that's a plethora of verbs. But that is negotiating. You're going to up, down, up, down. I knew there was a list of verbs somewhere. So do you think reading this book has helped you, will help you in the future at being a better negotiator? Yeah. I, yes, I do. Because I think you, you want to, uh, and, and I think sometimes we downplay uh, preparing. We downplay mm -hmm. that because in America we're like, Michael Jordan's just gifted. He is just wonderful. We, we don't go back in his childhood and see how his brother beat him over and over again and how he didn't get picked for his uh, high school team mm -hmm. and how he had to get go to school early and that coach worked with him and all that. We don't see the back. And he's even apologized for that. He said, I'm sorry if you think this came easy. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry because it was hard. And I think we downplay that instead of saying in America, good effort. Let's celebrate the effort, yes. Yeah, instead of, oh, you got the trophy. You know, instead of the work, we don't celebrate work enough. And we've read like Angela Duckworth, mm. her book on grit. It's all about work. You know, because, you know, when you're learning how to play a piano, dun, 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 you know, you're not going to start out with Beethoven. You're going to start out with, dun, dun, you know, you're going to start out slow. And, and every time a kid practices and does the scales or whatever, celebrate that. Way to go. You're a little bit. And when, when a kid does something they don't want to do, that's good. I mean, when you do something, you say, I don't really want to practice, but they do celebrate that. So that's, this is a good point. We we don't and we me and my husband we listened to a, a a Zoom call the other day that was talking about self sabotage, and that one of the things of um, self sabotage is this uns, being unsatisfied in a way where you just keep you keep going. It you, the next goal if you meet that goal you keep going you keep going you keep going which is not a bad thing 
it's a good thing to grow, but we don't need to hide behind like, oh, I'm growing. Because then you'll never be, you'll never have contentment. Contentment, you'll never have joy because it's always like, so he said that the antidote for that is celebrating milestones. Mm -hmm. And we, as a culture, we don't do that. It's just like run, 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 run. And so what does that, and you just talked about that. So what does that look like? How can we celebrate? Like even with kids or whatever, what does that look like? Well, on, I think uh, what I try to do in the classroom and, and as a parent is improvement. Are they improving? Oh, you made your bed five days out of seven. That's an improvement. Uh, you know, we don't celebrate that. We want perfection. Well, well, perfection's really not going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. So why not celebrate improvement? Like, oh, you, you made a C last week. This week you made all A's and B's. So that's an improvement. So And you worked hard and still go back to the work. I appreciate your... Like on my papers when I'm grading them, I put good job, good work, good thinking. I always go back to work. Well, talk about... You have a super improver board. What is yeah. that about at school? What does that look like? And what does that do? Well, that would be like if you... Like you're you were struggling with say regrouping in math, and then you got it the next week after much labor and stuff. Then you would get a super improver. Or like let's say you and I have some people are allergic to putting a capital letter at the beginning of a sentence. You they can't do it. Ah! <laughs> so when the, they learn that, then they get a super improver. Or it can be like kindness. Let's say you always thought you had to be first, and then all of a sudden you let some people. You realized, oh, I don't have to be, you know always first and then that could be any any form of improvement so we we're all a work in progress and that just helps you to you're not competing against anybody but you mm-hmm. and that's who you that's the only one you have control over mm-hmm. you can't control anybody else i as a teacher can't control anybody else but i can reward growth yes and that's what you want to do and I just, it's kind of hard to think about celebrating like that. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a few things we celebrate. We celebrate birthdays, but we're, as a society, we don't really celebrate growth. Growth. Yeah, we could say, oh my goodness, look at where you were and look at where you are mm-hmm. and take a moment and then just celebrate that. And I think we need to teach kids that joy because here's what happens on Christmas Day, everybody opens their presents and then the next day, I mean, I hear, well, a week later, whenever they come to school. Oh, I don't have anything to do. I mean, it's it's like we don't appreciate mm-hmm. what we have. I mean, and and that's important. Yeah. And that's why the kid usually that it's their birthday are a, they're a brat, because it is all about me. Never make it all about that's. I think that's bad. Mm-hmm. And I think this right here. I I think he's even telling us don't make it all about the negotiation. Read the room. Mm-hmm. Read it all. You know. And then know that it's not just one way. You could go different ways, but you've got to be informed. And I think as a parent and grandparent or teacher or a person, you we need to be informed. Yeah. We just can't uh, just think everything's going to be, uh, you know, I love Pollyanna. Great movie. Watch it with your kids. <laughs> but everything's not always going to work out. I mean, everything's not going to be, but we still need to roll with that. Mm-hmm. Hills, valleys, hills, valleys. You're not always going to get the negotiation. Yeah, It's not always going to go your way. No. But the good thing is that I think what he's talking about applies, will help relationships. If you, oh, definitely. Because he talks about being a better listener, mm-hmm. thinking about what the other person is wanting, you know, and, and and trying to see behind the mask, reading the book. What are they really wanting to say, you know? And, mm-hmm. and then he also said, too, that even the body language, you still need to ask. 
you know, yeah. because sometimes that's fuzzy. Mm-hmm. So you might not be getting a clear signal. They might be upset about something else. I mean, so, someone could be stomping their foot and their foot could be asleep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they might not even be mad. There's no harm in asking. Yes. I mean, I think we don't like to ask because it's kind of uncomfortable. And I think, um, and he does pull a lot of stories in. I mean, I, I think he has, uh, he has a lot of knowledge. It's very well read. Yeah. Very well read and, and ties in a lot of um, interesting facts. I mean, it it really was a very interesting read. Very, very uh, dense, I would say. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Very but dense. I'm glad I read it and I'm glad I finished it. <laughs> <laughs> glad it's over. I and said, I, I definitely, I said to myself, I am going to finish this book. I'm not going to take this into 223. <laughs> I mean, 2023. I said, no. I said, we will finish this. But I do think nonfiction is a little more challenging, you know. It and, is. And you need, I, I like to have both of them. And you said, I can't do two books, so I just got to finish this I'm one. I'm not I'm not as multi good at multitasking as you. But I do think this, I, I learned a lot. I, I think this will help me in the next time I negotiate. And he talks about, you don't need to negotiate everything either. Like, yeah. And yeah, that's true. He yeah. did say that. Some things are, you know, like as a parent. It's not not it's non-negotiable that you will take a bath. Mm-hmm. You will brush your teeth. Yes. You're not going to negotiate that. Yeah. But it also would be good for parents to teach their kids the basics of negotiation. That's very true and not to get ran over. No. And yeah. But and a lot of that comes from knowing yourself. Yeah, identity. Yes. And that is what's sad about our society right now when they are demeaning your identity, you know, mm-hmm. and they're not wanting people to know who they are. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of sad. And this quote right here, it says, ideals have been set high enough that you can walk comfortably underneath them. And that was that oh, guy. Remember the yeah. guy, Pico, uh, that was negotiating forever and ever about trying to get the terrorists to let people go. But he said, your ideals should be set high enough that you can walk comfortably under them. Ideals can mean both values and goals. To extend his metaphor... We can say that targets should hang far enough above you that you can't just reach up and grab them, but have to jump. And even then, the best you can do is to get your fingers barely around them for an instant until you slip off. Ideally, then, you are always falling short. That is the point of ideals and targets. They are not often realized in the here and now. And what a different, like, that's so good. Like, because today, and you as a teacher, even the, like, we've lowered the standards. Mm-hmm. And instead of raising them, let's make them higher than they can get to where when they jump, you know, we we keep lowering. and that But we do that with everything. I know, it's let's, sad. Because we want people to feel good about themselves. When, when in, in reality, we're making them feel less. Yes. They're less. Yes. Because they can't compete on a world market. And I always tell teachers that I've worked with to teach to the high kids. Teach to the high kids and hit the ground running. There is no downtime. You know, I've actually had people call and say, are you guys doing anything? You know, like the day before a, a break or something. Yeah, we're learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what, what are we supposed to be doing? <laughs> yeah, we're learning. So we want that to be challenging. You want it to be. Mm. Because, uh, you know, a bright kid, they're not going to be with you. They're not going to come to the game if, you're, if it's not challenging. I mean, who would go to a sporting event if you knew how it was going to turn out? Yes. Yeah, well, we know what it'll be like. Well... And well, we, even for ourselves, we need to set for ourselves, put goals higher than you can reach. Mm-hmm. Put them up. I loved yeah. how he said your fingertips should barely touch them. So it's like, wow. And But you are so right when you say education in the world, our world, has just lowered mm. it so much 
so afraid that someone would fail. But, you know, like Michael Jordan even says, that's how you learn. Failure. Mm -hmm. Failure's the best teacher. Your last mistake is your best teacher. I mean, having... uh, had the Instapot said, food burn. <laughs> I'm like, food burn? Oh, no. I mean, but you know what? I'm not going to forget that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to fix that. But if if you never make a mistake, then you never conquer a mistake either. So, therefore, what have you done? You know, no baby just takes off and walks. They fall. They get up. And, they, and we're not letting ourselves fall. We're afraid. We're like in a padded party cell or something. I don't know why. But to me, that's that's how you learn. Well, that's the that's a quote too. The the most successful people in our society have failed the most. So it's like you can't have one without the other. Yeah, there's a and I don't know it off the top of my head, but Babe Ruth struck out all these times. But he's like the king of SWAT. But he struck out that many times. And Mike Dick has said you never. Uh, I, was it Mike Dick or someone said you never make a hit you don't do or something? Maybe it was the hockey player. But something about you're not ever going to do it if you don't try. And you will fail. Mm-hmm. These sports people know that. But. And, and that's what he said, too. I like that. But um, that's the best you can do. So basically, you're, you're, ideally, then, you're always falling short. Mm-hmm. So And you want that. That's a, that's a totally different mind shift to mm-hmm. think, I want, I'm, I'm going to set it so high that I'm going to fail more often than I'm actually going to touch this goal. But you're going to grow. But you're going to grow. Mm-hmm. That's a totally different mindset. So, And that's a I wrap. I think that's a wrap on One Step Ahead with David Sally. And that, if you want to negotiate, go down that alley. <laughs> <laughs> happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. See you on the next one.